Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. This week, I'm not with Mark, but I'm with one of our most popular guests of the year, Carl Roof from Page Optimizer Pro. And we have decided to do a second volume of essentially SEO gems, kind of like looking back at 2020 and talking about what changed and experiments we've done on both sides. I think you will like it. If you like the first podcast I did with him in February, you will like this one. Unfortunately, because this video has been recorded on Zoom and not on our usual setup, the quality is a little bit worse, the screen is split between both of us, but it's still a lot of value. So if you enjoy these kind of interviews, don't forget to click on the subscribe button and click on the thumbs up and on the notification bell so you don't miss our videos. You can also subscribe to the audio version of this podcast on all the podcast platforms. But for now, let's jump into the interview. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, so we started the year with Cal Roof and that was one of our most popular podcast episodes. So I decided to kind of like close the year with Cal and just kind of like do a bit of a retrospective on what happened. We'll do a bit of a different one with Mark a little bit later, but this one is going to be like pure SEO, nerdy stuff, etc. We're going to talk a lot about on-page because you guys know that. I know you guys love what Cal has to say about on-page. I just want to address some of the complaints that there was in the latest podcast. There was that comment from this guy called Funbot that said, good podcast, but please let Kyle or any guest speaker you are invited talk more. You're sounding like a client, no offense. So you guys can sign up to this guy's agency. We're going to put the URL below. If you want to become one of his clients, it's going to be, uh, <laughs> going to be a good time. And anyway, so wait, Cal, somebody, somebody said that on, in the comments? On YouTube, yeah. It's, you know, I thought people were nice until we started posting on YouTube, you know? I don't <laughs> even understand what that means, that you're sounding like a client. Well, it means he doesn't like his clients very much. Or he likes me a lot. I don't know. Actually, it could have been a compliment. Yeah, I don't know. But anywhere, it's like if you put the URL, you know, depending on how people interpret that, they can, I don't have his URL, by the way, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's funny because I thought people didn't mind about my, about my accent and things like that. Uh, people were always nice when I meet, met them, etc. And then we got on YouTube. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I discovered what people really think, you know, it's like uh, people, people have uh, nicknames on there and then either you can't tell who they are. And uh, yeah, well, I guess French is not as popular as I thought it would be, you know. Anyway, I'll keep going with that. There's also a lot of like very positive comments, by the way. It's just Honestly, it makes me laugh, actually, people who drop negative comments, like, I don't mind that much. If you don't want to watch, you can just click on whatever clickbait there is on the right here. Yeah, you can literally move on to another video. (laughs) Exactly. It's okay, you know? Anyway, let's get started with the actual podcast. And basically, yeah, we started talking, we talked in February, and I think your podcast I checked just earlier was the second most downloaded podcast this year, actually. So uh, it's been quite popular. I think it was from all the Facebook groups, like uh, Proper SEO and Steve Kang's group as well, etc. And uh, these guys love you. And so it got really, really popular. So, well, that's going to be a good treat for them to have you again. I wanted to ask, what is the biggest change for you in SEO in 2020? Well, I think I say every year that things don't change. By and large, they don't change. One big thing that did happen, though, it was October 8th. Gary Isles, Martin Split, and um, John Mueller all have a podcast. It's called Search Off the Record or something like that. And within that podcast, they talked about that Google normalizes HTML. And what that means is Google fixes HTML so that they can, if you have broken HTML, they're trying to put it back together so they can see what you're trying to do. But the reason that they're doing that is that they want to find your H1 through your H4 and assign weight accordingly. And 
this I thought was really huge because it, it confirmed, you know, everything that we're seeing in testing, things that I see in practice and SEO. But a lot of people still think that H tags don't matter. And you even you probably go through Search Engine Journal and find plenty of articles that say your H tags don't matter at all. It's, it's not what we see in this particular case. If this isn't true, this would be just a complete lie <laughs> from directly from, from the mouthpiece. Yeah. Google. And that seems unlikely. That would be such a, a brazen lie. But within this podcast, I'm mean, kind of explaining how things work. It was, uh, it was about caffeine, which is about indexing, breaking out exactly how they're doing it and why they're doing it, I thought was extremely significant. It's funny because let me just tell everyone, I told that story to Cal yesterday because we recorded that podcast and it went wrong and we were recording it. So I'm about to tell you the same story, Cal. So please like, use your best actor studio skills and just act surprised when I tell you the story, okay? <laughs> yesterday, Cal was dancing, so he gives me stalling a lot. Yeah, so it's like I believe that Google actually fixes HTML on pages. I think they've done it for a long time, I think. Matt Katz actually was mentioning it already when he was working there. He was like, oh, small businesses, they don't know how to, they make a lot of mistakes on their sites and we try to fix it. And our goal is to show the best content, not to show who has the best HTML. But like, I have a, a proof of that that will kill my credibility completely. And that's why it's, a, it's an interesting one. People will love that. Is that an authority hacker reader emailed us a couple of months ago asking why we no index no follow our homepage on Authority Hacker. Is that a new tactic, et cetera? Like, is this some kind of like new trick, et cetera, et cetera? And like, I think Mark forwards it to me and I'm like, that's weird. And I go check <laughs> and sure enough, we're no index, no follow. For people who don't understand what that means, it's basically we're telling Google, count every link on our homepage as no follow, so not passing uh, link juice. And also, no, sorry, it was index, no follow. So it was indexed. So you would Google us and it would be indexed. I think this they would respect. But no follow means essentially don't, no follow all the links on that page and please don't pass page ranks through these links, right? Which is absolutely terrible for a site like Atari Hacker that has like eight, 900 linking root domains and some really big ones. We have like an Ahrefs homepage link, for example, like that gives you an idea of the kind of links that, that would get negated so that kind of mistake. And it, to my surprise, our rankings literally hadn't moved. And it's like, I was like, well, maybe we just, it's something that just rolled out a couple of days ago. And so that's why it's just not re-indexed and Google has indexing problems, et cetera. So why not? So I checked in, in Wayback Machine. People can check themselves actually after this podcast. And this was a nine months old mistake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so given the, the amount of links that page had as well, for sure Google knew about it. And to my surprise, like rankings didn't move. And so what happened probably was that we had some staging site. We probably, you know, no, no index state. We had both. A the classic mistake with the uh, And the then we forgot to antique one, the, uh, you know, like we misclicked nah. and just pressed update on the WordPress and just rolled it out. And well, good job. We had uh, no, follows, no follow links on the homepage. And nothing happened before, like when we rolled this out and when we removed it from an organic traffic perspective. So my understanding is that Google just ignore it and it's like, these guys are idiots and we're just going to uh, do the right thing. And essentially, to me, that is a good living proof that Google fixes your mistakes at least or tries to, to fix things and intervenes into the data you're giving to them. And Everything is basically a strong hint. You know how Rail is like a strong hint, but they don't have to follow it. Sure. I feel like everything is more or less of a strong hint when it comes to on-page things, at least. And I can, I'm not surprised that they would read all the things. No, it's, um, I love that. Uh, I think I run into that error every other month. When somebody's mm -hmm. like, I, you know, I've got this, and I'm like, well, you know, you're set to no index, or you're set to, do you, you realize <laughs> no follow. that? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. No, no follow. You're set this, and it's just because you, oh, yeah, that we're just like them. We make the exactly. same mistakes. 
I mean, it's like, it's important to share that because a lot of people like to like be untouchable when they share their stories, etc. It's like oh, we know for a lot sure. of these things because we fuck up so many things as well. And so, no, for sure, yeah, it happened. And actually, didn't really cost us anything in this case. So it was an interesting uh, case study, and we learned a lot. It reminds me of um, when the nofollow the um, disavowal was released. There was a guy that disavowed all his links. Um, and Google literally just ignored that and just he kept ranking just the same as well. So it's like yeah. Google Google fixes things for you, basically. Sure. But the H1 to the H, the heading reorganizing is interesting because I don't think you would bother reorganizing something that is irrelevant. And so, like, a lot of people don't care that much. The and, processing uh, power alone that it would take exactly. just to do it to do it for kicks. You know, there, there, there's no there's no reason to do it other than this is extremely important. It, it's a complete glimpse into what they're doing, you know, and why they're doing it is because they need to do that so that they can really find those things. And that's where they're getting such strong signals from about what is this page about, you know, and, and what is in these different areas and, and what makes this page maybe better than another page. These are four clear zones. I'll also tell you, you don't really worry about H5 or H6, you know, like that's. You know, they would have I, said, hey, I tend to rarely get there, to be honest. Like usually most people videos, do. But you ever yeah. you always wonder, well, you know what? If H4 counts, what about an H5? <laughs> but the answer would be no. But um, kind of going to then what's changing, you know, again, if they're telling us this now that this is how it's going, this is how it's been. You know, this isn't something that they just started doing. And it kind of goes to that this is what the core algorithm just is. You know, and this is how it actually works, which has been the same for forever. Long time because ago. you know, and if they're willing to spend the money again, then it's something that they're not going to decide to unspend it real quick. It just that's that's how it is. So those things they are remaining the same, and, and Google does every once in a while. It's 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 nice to see that kind of confirmation. I think it's also it's confirming that most SEO doesn't change that much. This is probably something that's very old, like you know, just like organizing oh, headings. It's like it's like probably one of the first versions had that. I'm and, sure it's one of the originals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, people get excited with like AI stuff, et cetera, and like these new factors, et cetera. But there's still like, I mean, we, I still personally see keyword stuffing work really well. Oh, and and it's like, it's important to repeat that to people because, you know, you go to search engine journal or whatever, and you read the latest SEO articles, and you're going to read about all these like fancy new things that they're releasing and talk about and, you know, like uh, core web vitals and things like that and so on. And then people just like, you know, you go then to an, a conference and you talk to like agencies, et cetera. And that's all they can talk about. They don't, they forget about the basics. And then they're just like so obsessed with like page speed, which is probably a 1% ranking factor, like a really low ranking factor. At if best. At all. Yeah. If <laughs> at, at all. all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's maybe more of a slow side penalty than a, than a fast side reward or something. But um, yeah, I think it's important to talk about this because people put their mind and their resources in these tiny things. And then there's these giant gaps on the right that they completely ignore because they're so obsessed with whatever is the latest thing, et cetera. Well, before you, yeah, exactly. If, if you're looking at a page or you're, you know, just starting out or whatever, you know, you're kind of at the beginning of a project, do the basics, get the basics done, you know, and, and, and put it up and go before you get to the fancy stuff. You can't go right into fancy, you know, like NLP is super huge right now, right? Everyone wants to talk about natural language processing. And a couple of things I think about that are one, Google's NLP API does not have every language. It has like eight, mm. you know? So does that mean it only matters for the ones that they're um, really caring about? Like, is that it? But then also, why would Google allow you to tap into an API that shows you exactly how to rank or gives you any kind of benefit towards rank? That's a hard one for me to swallow that they would be like, you know, we've been hiding this this whole time, but now if you just sign up for our API, you can have it. 
Like yeah, that to they me, don't collect data from it as well. Like they don't get much in return. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not like you're giving them your data or you're giving them some interesting stuff or something. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's. A, it, I guess it depends on. You know, it's kind of like office politics as well, right? It depends who is running the project and things like that as yeah. well. Like these guys yeah. are very open source or something, and it's just like it doesn't really match the rest of Google's policy, but it's also not against it to the point they would like not let it happen or something. Or they just sure. mislead you, and they're like, "Whoever is using it." <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay, I'm not gonna take. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna make that joke right? because people, people, people will just uh, take it literally. You know, at Chiang Mai SEO, people turn their phone off so that Google can track them. So yeah, that's silly. Uh, <laughs> so I'm you know, th- to, you know that that yeah. goes to the that's that's like a perfect SEO thing that Google cares personally about what yeah, you're doing. No, they you don't know, care. Like, like they don't read your email. But I also think we we also think like, you know, have you ever done SEO and you think you're the only one doing SEO for that SERP? Yeah, no, it's no. Okay. But, I mean, for the big, for the big ones, no, definitely for the small keywords. But I mean, you know, I think well, we get, I think we get into this mentality that I'm the only SEO, yeah. and so like you know when you hit page one and you knock somebody off, there's a good chance that somebody is watching that and they're not very happy about it. But we don't really think of it in that way. We think I hit page one, not somebody just got knocked off and they actually might try to do something to get back onto page one. And we're then gonna that's get very... when you get uh, negative SEO attacks in the very competitive niches, like the, <laughs> the DDoS and all of that. Um, Avoid those, but just the, it was just kind of that mentality of, of yeah, yeah. I am I am the only SEO. I'm the only thing that's going on here. And Google wants to solve things algorithmically anyway. They don't want to look at your stuff. Like when they do it, oh yeah, just, yeah. Like I think for your stuff, for example, like if for people who don't know, Carl got de-indexed for like essentially posting Laura Mipsum on his on his sites. I think in your case, it's just because you got the PR stunt behind it, and there was articles, etc. It's like. It's an, a good occasion in like one swing to make a lot of SEOs scared, but otherwise they wouldn't care. About, like if there was no story, if nobody talked about it, nobody, they wouldn't care about your size. Well, you know, there's an extra wrinkle to that story too. So very brief version for people that don't know, there was a public competition. I ranked a site and after the competition ended, technically, uh, the site went to number one in Google and it was written in lorem ipsum and I did the math that you needed and I copied and pasted terms into the lorem ipsum and it goes to number one. Well, I was studying the the Google guidelines not that long ago and on the no-no list, there's um, automated generated content, uh, automatically generated content. And the number one thing on there says content that doesn't make any sense to the reader, but contains search terms as a rule. And I was like, when did that go into place? Because I know that wasn't a rule when I did the competition. So I put the URL into the Wayback Machine and there were two dates. One was pre the competition and one was a week after the site went live so people could see what that was. And pre uh, competition, no rule. A week after that rule comes into play. So what's crazy is then about three months later is when Search Engine Journal decided to do their article. And that's when the competition site was de-indexed and then also Google then went after my test sites, but basically they changed the rule. I think waited for it to come out of it and then punished me for the brand new rule, which is pretty amazing. I think you beat one of the Google guys that was participating in that competition. That must be the only answer, you know, (laughs) but uh, I'm so proud of this discovery, by the way, I'm printing it on business cards and I'm just passing it out on the street. Did you know I have a Google rule? (laughs) (laughs) Do you really have that on business cards? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Show me the business card. I wait. <laughs> I just gave them out to all the Thai people that I saw. Ah, my neighbor's oh. like, why is this guy handing me a card? 
Yeah, it's true. Now you're in Chiang Mai, right? You moved to Chiang Mai. Yeah. They may, it's funny. It's like the way the way I'm looking at it. The, when you moved to Chiang Mai, I thought about you know sports team acquiring talent. You know, it's like uh, acquiring players, etc. <laughs> I was like, oh, Chiang Mai made a big acquisition for this year's season. You know, they're they're acquiring talent. <laughs> the level of talent in this town is impressive. I feel like you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody that's doing something really cool and is really just doing really well in SEO. It's not just SEOs, marketing. right? There's also yeah. a lot of people doing Facebook ads, etc. I mean, I was yeah. in co-working spaces there. Most of the people I heard talking were mostly talking about Facebook ads and stuff. And I mean, digital stuff as well. Like, but oh, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, you can, in every cafe you go or something, there's people walking on their laptops. And uh, I mean, I bumped into a guy in a co-working space and, you know, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a PHP developer. And I was like, I have a small PHP issue. Do you mind? And he's like, yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, oh, this is what you need to do. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, and it stunned the team that I had. I've also overheard some terrible discussions on tool recommendations also in cafes. Like people are recommending, I can't remember, like something on team, like some page builder on Team Forest or something, like really terrible. <laughs> terrible. And it's like, I was just like eating my food and just shaking my head and just like, no, no. <laughs> no they're not all like. They're not all pros, but no. But, but, the, but there's a lot of good people for sure. Like when I was there, it was fun. Now the level Congratulations. Fantastic. Congratulations on the move, I guess. it's uh, it, it was good timing. <laughs> uh, really, yeah. It wasn't easy because COVID had hit and we were just kind of on hold for a few months. But the trick is have a child and then enroll that child in a school. So step one, Gail, is, is have a have child. A child. Okay. <laughs> Acquire a child. I'm taking notes. One second. <laughs> <laughs> Put child in school, and then um, that, that increases your chances of getting it. Well, it's like, yeah, I, I'm jealous. You guys, and we have that full mask life, etc. But anyway, let's go back to SEO. I want to talk about SEO. I mean, you talked about the headings, etc. One thing that has changed a lot this year that I want to talk about is our Google indexing issues and Google yeah. essentially spending ages indexing new pages. I mean, we work on several new sites and literally sometimes I wait a month for the page to even just show up when I type the URL in Google, not a keyword or something, the URL. What do you think is happening? How has that changed things? What do you do differently around this? Sure. Well, I think um, there's a problem. I, I think Google is having an actual issue, and I think it's possible that maybe they've hit a hard cap, you know, that they yeah. were not anticipating that uh, they're having trouble getting through all of the URLs at this point, which I think would go to that there's a good chance that uh, updates have slowed down because when they do an update, they have to refactor all the pages. Yeah. And if there is an indexing problem, that's going to prevent them from doing these types of rollouts. I think you might recall there have been, there were a couple of times, and I think affiliates are really susceptible to a lot of this, where all of a sudden something happens and like all the sites on page one drop. And the thing that's ranking is like a PDF and a Google site, you know, and stuff like that. Like, and it's just so bizarre. And it's like that for three or four days. And then all of a sudden everything reappears. It's rolled back. Yeah. That's a real problem. That's an absolute issue. And I think probably what has happened in that situation is that they did a, an update and could not recrawl, re-index the pages that were existing uh, to see the the eventual outcome of that update. So they just have to kind of roll back to... Um, They've done that several times, right? Where it went bad. I remember Tim as well, like uh, complaining on uh, he didn't rank for keyboard tool or something like this on uh, with Ahrefs. Like uh, he was like, what, "What is this crap ranking?" And just like uh, people retweeting and going crazy. And then two three days later, literally the exact same stuff as before the update was back. So they, I think there's, I think there's an actual problem right now. I don't yeah. think it's, I don't think this is anything going on. Like so, they took away the um, manual uh, submission. Within Search Console for your index, uh, your in, URLs, and I think that's because they can't process. I think it's just they can't process it. 
you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's I what imagine that. kind of coming it's, down to. So one thing that's interesting is that sites that are established sites that are already, that already have a crawl budget. I don't see too many problems with those in terms of them being crawled and indexed. It, the sites that seem to struggle are brand new sites or relatively new sites that don't have the same, for lack of a better word, authority than an older site. Those sites seem to be hurting more. And my guess is because a site that has the Google already knows and understands and has a, an established crawl budget, I think Google is willing, like, okay, we can do this much processing. We'll just keep going with what we're going. Yeah. And then anything new, they're really taking their time on. Yeah, I think any site below DR, like 25 or something, when you use Ahrefs metrics, kind of struggles for me. And then the sites that are like DR60 plus feels quite similar. It feels similar as if we didn't submit it to the the tool, yeah. which we usually did it. So it's like, it was, I mean, I use that request indexing to like fine tune my own page or that, you know, like just essentially like put a version, request indexing, five minutes later, it would, it would re-index and jump up or down. And then you just like yeah. either roll back or something like that. I miss that kind of like real-time SEO. We had a little bit of a taste of that for like a few months. I mean, maybe not like maybe one or two years. And now it's just gone. <laughs> uh, something in testing that we're doing, so something that has changed for me, is actually finding uh, expired domains that have some juice so that you can put them on. And those pages will then index so that I can get back into a lot of the testing I do, especially with the on-page type stuff, because it is so hard just to take a, a random domain that never existed and to get it to do anything is pretty tricky. Yeah, I do that as well, actually. like It's like it's something like I haven't talked a lot about publicly because I'm still in that phase. And it's like, I would I, the first time we met, I was like, I'm not so great on page and I didn't talk about this publicly. And I fucking grinded the hell out of it for like one year and like uh, tried a lot of stuff. And that, now I feel quite comfortable talking about our experiences, like stuff we've done. Now I'm kind of in that phase with expired domains, starting sites on all domains, et cetera. But I have been spending quite a bit of money on a good ID auction domains. And I use that tool called Spamzilla, which mm -hmm. great branding, by the way, that uh, essentially just kind of like curates all the marketplaces and allows you to check, you know, HRS metrics, number of backlinks, et cetera. And uh, I've made some really good deals, actually. Like I have a site that I bought in like, the small business software niche with links from like inc.com, time.com, buffer.com, like all of that to one domain around like DR33, I think, something like this, around that. Paid $500 for it. It's much cheaper than actually acquiring these links through a PR campaign or something like this. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was pleasantly surprised, but then my question was like, you know, it's like I read a lot what these PBN guys do, right? It's like they, they're like, oh, go on archive.org and redownload the old domain and restitute the old site and maybe add one link and and I was like that's too much work for me <laughs> I'm the guy that, that, I, that no follows his homepage but also it's like you know <laughs> I was like can't do that that's the new uh, technique exactly <laughs> you told that whole story actually to throw people off the trail somebody <laughs> found it yeah now everyone's gonna try it you know maybe, maybe it does something it's like a, it's a Konami code for your site you know but I just like threw a new WordPress on, on several of these sites and just ordered some fresh content from world agents, actually. Like, uh, this is the guys that I use for like outsourcing some content. And I was surprised, like after a week, I was, you know, top 30 to 50 for, you know, semi-competitive keywords, et cetera. So it's, um, it's like, even though Google has crawl issues, yeah, it's like, uh, it seems like age domains with some links is definitely the way to get some action. And it looks like, I'm curious if I can break page one on like non-branded terms on these sites quickly, like within a month or two. It's kind of like the mark of the sandbox, right? I have a site that I started on a new domain as well. That is like 
position 11 for some terms for ages. And I know, I know we just like right at that threshold and, and they won't let us. So I'm curious to see if I can break that. And that's why I don't necessarily like do big uh, like tutorials, et cetera, publicly yet, because I want to see if there's a tangible benefit and if I can actually hit some commercial terms on page one with this. But yeah, actually, I think the value of expired domain is increasing with uh, Google's uh, Google's <laughs> indexing issues, no? Yeah, for sure. And just because you can get them going faster, you know, yeah. that's just the bottom line. And I think you're mentioning that you're not really even putting the same content on. And I can just tell you from the tests that I run, mm -hmm. it's certainly not the same content because it's just lorem ipsum. Yeah, and for me, it's like loosely related, you know, it works fine. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because it contradicts most of what like common wisdom in PBNs would say. It's like if Google's yeah. ranking these sites, I can't see them discounting the links from these sites, right? Mm -hmm. That would make no sense. So it's like, if, if you see some positive activity organically, then to me, I think, I mean, I guess I'm giving advice to PBN people now. This is 2020 after all. Yeah, it goes but black. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't bother, you know, it's like, um, I would just, I would just put a, an okay looking WordPress site and some content and go for it, basically. I bet the line, uh, every WordPress site or every PBN is just a WordPress site until proven otherwise. Exactly. I know, but like people are really good to go through some crazy extent to try to like make it look legit, basically. And yeah, I'm, sure. I'm not sure it's worth it. Another thing I want to talk about is feature snippets. So feature snippets have changed this year. The one change, the main change is you, at the beginning of the year, you would have the feature snippet. And then you would have any ranking in the top, usually five, mm. five, six. Uh, so you get double placement. Nowadays, you don't get double placement anymore. You only get the feature snippet or the organic ranking. Did that change anything in the way you do things? And, and did you consider oh. this? Do you still want feature snippets, et cetera? Are you a fan of the feature snippet? Do you like having that spot and not having an organic spot? Are you in that camp? Yes. I probably am too. I mean, you see more clicks, right? Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. see it when we go from not having it to having it. Yeah. The, I mean, it's not as big of an increase as it used to be, I feel. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel it's, you know, it's like sometimes we get it, it's like plus 20% traffic or something, which is nice. But before, sometimes it was like double, triple, quadruple the traffic. It, it would be quite significant. Uh, so I think they changed the layout on some subs as well. So it's a little bit less prominent. It is definitely something that we are cognizant of. And if not, say, the, the main target page that we're looking at, we will definitely try to target some featured snippet type uh, opportunities with our supporting content. You know, I think that's going to support that page. If we can find, you know, sometimes there's some random ones that have featured snippets. If we can go and steal that, that just makes for a, such a solid supporting page because it's going to get a lot of traffic coming. It gets in. links as well, right? It's like if you rank high organically exactly. for info content, it's like you get links. People will rank to the number one thing, which is actually that passive income or passive income. <laughs> passive. <laughs> Don't go too fast. It is passive income. <laughs> kind of. uh, but the passive link building method of, of running a Google ad, you know, for something and just because people will link to the number one spot. Always. Like, it's crazy. You rank for like any kind of like info content keyword and like people just like don't search that much. They just Google the keyword, click on the number one and link to that as a resource, you know? If somebody wants to get rid of the featured snippet though, let's say they don't want it and they would prefer to be in the number one. And if you have data backing that up, yes, you know, absolutely. That's what you should be doing for your niche. But um, you can use the no snippet tag. I had a lot of fun with this. I was playing with it in the scenario where Google won't use your meta description. You know, you've written this perfectly crafted meta description and Google's being a real and dick. Just, yeah. <laughs> they're just pulling something else. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I wanted. So what we did in that situation is that we, so we had a page and uh, Google's pulling just a chunk of paragraph. 
So I put the no snippet on that. And what was crazy is that Google just went to another spot on the page, actually went down to the next paragraph. So I put no snippet on that paragraph. Then Google leapfrogged up to the top of the page, grabbed a chunk from there. So what I did at that point is I just no snippeted the whole page. And at that point, Google stopped doing that and um, went with the meta description that, that we wanted. In the same way, if Google is taking a page for your featured snippet, you can put that no snippet on there if you don't want it and it will kill it. And presumably give you your rank back wherever you were in that like one through five type position, you should actually go back. Yeah. And the thing is like, if it's maybe worth it if you're number one, but if you're not, like, would you trade feature snippet for number three? I don't think I would. Exactly. 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 So so it's kind of like a risky, it's kind of like feels more stable when you have the feature snippet. Like it's like, it almost feels like it's still a Chrome job. You know, it's something that kind of like gets redone once in a while, but not all, not as much real time as the, um, as the rankings. And so it feels more stable when you're there. So it's like sometimes you maybe you want to trade some stability for like 5% less traffic or something if you think that what you, you, need, you would need to have the numbers to back it up to really justify. Yeah. Like there might be some niches that, yeah, you know, I, I can see that as a distinct possibility, but you need to be really confident in that decision. I think you have to have a lot of numbers to back it up. Yeah. The one thing that has changed for me as well is a keyword research process, right? So it's like you essentially, because you can leapfrog people, let's say you need to be top five for feature snippet, top six actually technically, but number six is very rarely gets it. It's like, even if the top two is really strong, for example, you can just aim for number three or four and then just do that, that on page battle for the feature snippet and just leapfrog really large DR site with a, like, you know, site that has half the DR or something. And in keyword selection, it opens up a lot of opportunities. Like you would look at it in the traditional way for keyword research and you'd be like, there's no way. Then you think about this and you're like, I might gamble on this one if it's like a really high intent keyword or something. It's not something I would want to to do for like like 300 pages or something because you kind of need to babysit them if you want to maintain your field snippet. And uh, it's a lot of resources. But for some key phrases, I think it's a really cool way to go where your competition at your level is not going to go actually. Sure. No, I love that a lot. You know, that brings up a good point too. And something that I've been working on a, a bit is that there are times when you're going to go after a keyword that you're not going to win. It's a very short phrase. You're going up against huge, huge, and huge. And it just, it doesn't matter. You're not going to win it, but that doesn't matter because when you optimize for that primary, you win so many other keywords. There are a lot of keywords in there that you could be quite competitive for and have these pages that are actually getting a lot of uh, impressions and clicks, but you couldn't do really get there without having that particular page on there that going after that that primary term that's really just out of reach. It's a concept that I think people a lot of miss, they miss a lot in that they are like, oh, I can't win that keyword, so I'm not going to do that page. There's a lot of advantage to having that page, getting those secondaries, and then building supporting content for it as well, so that you've got a little relevancy. Yeah. On, yeah, will help you gain traffic, and then in the end, it, it really actually at, at the end gives you the best chance of even maybe backdooring your way into that type of a term. I like it for a lot of reasons as well. We do that a lot. I mean, first of all, for link building, right? If a keyword is competitive, it means that the top pages have a lot of links, which means you can outreach to these people and have a chance to get a link. So first of all, it can help with your domain authority. Second of all, I think it can influence your uh, domain relevancy. So like, it's like, I'm going to take an example in the hosting niche. Like, let's say you check the top hosting sites. So hosting review sites, people, everyone has a Bluehost review, right? It's like, even though I have no chance, to rank for Bluehost review, usually if I started a site in that niche, I would write a Bluehost review just because it's literally a trait that every successful site in that niche has. And it feels like it just increases my relevancy if I want sure. to be considered in the same pool of websites, you know? Yeah. So very often we write content, we have zero chance of ranking for, for that. It's like actually that case study site that we saw like a year and a half ago, 
had a lot of these pages actually. Like there was at least 25 pages that had pretty much no chance of ranking, but they were here because the, the, it was a very competitive affiliate niche. And we needed, I believed at this time that we needed to have these pages to essentially belong into the same group of people that we aspired to have the same traffic as. I was say, but then when you, when you say that they're not going to rank, they're not going to rank for that one term. But when you look at them in Search Console, they're ranking for hundreds of th- or thousands yeah, of terms. Yeah, sometimes you don't get much traffic. Like to, to be frank, when I remember these pages, <laughs> some of them, it was quite pathetic, the traffic they were getting. But I still <laughs> believe it was still helping. Like it's like, I, I don't mind. Like I just treat it as like, you know, an initial fixed cost of establishing your relevancy as a domain. Another thing is like for very competitive keywords, most URLs are several years old. And it's like, I don't know if it's a factor. It might just be the the time that it takes to accumulate the links. But regardless, what I know is that the best way to age the URL is for it to exist. And so just making it, and because it exists, you start building internal links to it. You mention it in a guest post, et cetera. It slowly builds up authority. Even if you're very far away from what you need for that keyword, yeah. One day, eventually, you know, it's kind of like your saving account. You just put a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and eventually it just grows, you know, it's like, treat it like that for these big keywords, I think. So I tend to write, yeah, like usually maybe 20% of the pages on a new site would be for keywords that are quite unrealistic within even the first year and a half, actually. Well, you know, the only page that can't rank is the one that's not up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's the, what it comes down to. Like, it, well, I can't, you know, if you, if you don't have a page for it, it just simply, then yeah, you're right. It cannot, you cannot rank for it. But yeah, but like you write another article and you link to it naturally, et cetera, and eventually it just builds up. And also this yeah, page can just be a hub for other pages often. So it's like you redistribute <laughs> the link juice while you're not using it to rank for that page, et cetera. And it doesn't matter that much. So I think, uh, yeah. And also very often, you know, it's like, it happens quite often. I'm like, oh, this kid was quite easy. I write for it and we never rank for it, right? It's just, I don't know, we're doing everything. It's not happening. But very often the opposite happens too, right? It's like, you think you have no chance. And then all of a sudden you're ranking for that keyword and you're like, well, I guess I was wrong. No, that's when you're like, I'm an internet god. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that's when you I, take all the credit, but then it's not your fault the when the other page doesn't yeah. rank, you know? Exactly, all the credit. <laughs> yeah, but like, it happens quite often. Actually, it happened. I reviewed um, a done-for-you site-building service called uh, Alpha Investors a couple, couple months ago, right? And literally in the review, I'm like, I don't understand why they wrote for that keyword. There's no chance you will rank. I think it was like how to install a urinal or something. I shot the website, something like that. I was like, there's no way. There's like Home Depot, et cetera, on that page. And guess what? They rank, it ranks number one. <laughs> <laughs> so now everyone can go look at that site, go look at that review and be like, yep, that's the guy that no followed his homepage links, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> out of the park every time. That's great. It's okay. I, I should share some some victories as well. Otherwise, people always think I'm really bad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh. To be honest, it's like I mean, overall, it's like we've done quite well in 2020. Pretty happy with where we're at. But it's just funny to realize how often we get wrong as well, and to not get too much of an ego around around success as well. You know. Well, and yeah, exactly. And the other thing too is that you learn from it. You learn from it. You realize, okay, that was wrong. Yeah. Now let's move forward and do it right. Talking about something that you learned, last time you were telling me you were experimenting around well-equal sponsored links and that you believed it was maybe passing link juice. Does it pass link juice? Yeah. So we're still on that. I've tested it. I've been playing with it a bunch. So one thing that I was looking at is people talk about that it like creates a dead zone. If you say like uh, you know, anchor text is a signal, you know, the, the clickable text on a page uh, is a strong signal. But if you have that anchor text and it's with a rel sponsored, a page won't index or it won't be any kind of factor. And, and that's simply not true. One thing that we did find, which was very interesting, is that if you mark a link rel no sponsored, it will not help another page index. 
So Google's favorite way of, of indexing is through links, through crawling from one link to another link to discover them that way. That is the way that it prefers. If you have a real uh, sponsored link to an orphan page, that orphan page will not index. So where I think maybe people see a, a problem, you know, or they're saying that nothing's happening or, or it's not as effective, is, is certainly within that indexing aspect. But the rank factor in terms of passing juice, it's still there. Okay, that's quite interesting. So essentially, you can, in a white hardware, buy links. If you buy a radical sponsor link, which is considered advertising, like Google literally says, if you pay for links, put a radical sponsored, and then this helps your ranking. So I could literally do outreach, pay people with radical sponsor links, and rank websites. Well, that's not that's exactly. When you look at the rules. You know, they say no buying links, right? Yeah. And then that's pretty clear. And there's no getting around that either because you can't like exchange, you know, services or exchange something or you can't incentivize. Um, yeah. Exactly. But you are always allowed to advertise. Yeah. That's it. And uh, it has to pass editorial review, meaning that it has been reviewed and it's there. Within advertisement, you're allowed to do native advertisement. Native advertisement simply is advertisement that appears to be genuine. Like it, it, it's supposed to be there, but it's not. A native ad is like, you know, when you're scrolling through Facebook and you look at something that looks like a post, but it's not. It's not a post. That's, that's native advertisement. But that's what a guest post is. A guest post is native advertising where it appears as though this site, for whatever reason, has decided to write a blog post about this particular product or this service or this thing over here. That's native advertisement. They, they certainly did not, for whatever, the, the reason they decided to do that was money. But you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to advertise your products, your services, and you're allowed to do it in, within native advertisement. The key is that you work towards getting those links that are going to pass juice marked as well sponsored. And once you've done that, you're completely in the clear. Would you recommend people do that? Yeah, I would. Yeah. So it's like, let's say you have a client that's like, yeah, I want, I want a lot of links, but I want to be white hat. This is you it. Just do that. Yeah. yeah okay. For sure. Interesting. But the thing yeah, is, I mean, like, the risk that you take is that Google changes the rule in the future, right? And it's like because the links are the links are tagged, they could yeah. devalue them later, maybe. If Google decides to do that, to be, I mean, that's pretty awful, right? If, if you're kind of playing within the rules and they decide to do that, but what's to stop everybody at that point that, you know, this is an arms race, you know, we just take the tag off. Yeah. Yeah. You fair know? enough. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's interesting. It's interesting because it really opens up essentially link buying to white hat people, people who are against that. You can do it within the rules, within the rules that Google wrote yeah. themselves. Yeah. And that's not so, I might try actually next year. It's like, who knows? Yeah. The only, yeah. If you are advertising your stuff, you're allowed to do it. Now there, you could manipulate things because, uh, you can't do anything that's automatically generated, meaning you push yeah. a button and now you've got a thousand. Someone needs to check the content and approve it and that's be right. like, that's great for my yeah. site, basically. So it can't be automatically generated. It cannot be part of a scheme. And that's a pretty vague term. But I guess I can see somebody's wheels turning somewhere like, well, I could just do this and put real sponsor on it. And, that, and that, that's instantly as you start doing that, that's called a scheme. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably whatever you're thinking. Would, would, would if, you're, if you're thinking automation, I'm not going to do yeah. anything. No, it's like the way I'm thinking about it is more like outreach. Like, let's say someone's like, hey, I want to do guest posts. They're like, well, it's going to cost you $200 or whatever. And then you're like, well, okay, fine. But can you put real call sponsored on my links? Because I want to be sure that we both respect Google's rules and we don't get in trouble. Then you can do that and then essentially stay in the clear and probably increase your exactly. anyway. And then you're in, um, you're in the clear. Exactly. And then these people check your guest post and it's editorially approved and you've, you pass all the rules and it's not completely yeah. automated, et cetera. So I think if people took that approach, it's a, it's a big opportunity for like risk averse companies, people who want to like play in the long term, but would 
could use an, an SEO boost and struggled with link building and have the budget. Yeah, I think these uh, things might cost you. They should cost you more, really, when you think about it. But when you decide to do this in this manner, you're probably going to change your focus a little bit into actually trying to get traffic out of it. Because when you when your mind switches to advertisement, yeah. well. We need to get some value out of this. And while the link is good, if we're advertising our product, you know, and this is what the mindset is that we're doing, we, we really want to get somewhere where we could actually get some clicks. Yeah, and yeah. what I think you'll find is that mind shift to traffic is a good thing. You'll end up making better SEO decisions because if you're not just focused on that one, like, you know, you're fighting over five DR points, but you're like, well, you know what? This one's actually getting a lot of traffic. And if we advertise here, we have a better chance of actually getting people to our site that we want. You'll end up making, so that mind switch to traffic over link equity while doing these ads, I think you'll end up with just a better strategy overall. So basically you can white hat send your product to people and then they review it if you're an e-commerce and then they, they really call sponsor link to you and you can even make them affiliates or whatever, like many yeah. things can be done basically. So yeah, yeah sure. I agree. I think as well, if there's a manual review, it looks like you are after traffic and not after links, you'll be a lot safer than if it oh, yeah. just looks like a link scheme basically. So it's like if you're that risk averse type of people, then yeah. it's, it's a better way of going after it. And if you're going to pay for links anyway, just go for the best ones anyway. Go for the highest quality sites, et cetera. Like, you might as well. To be perfectly honest, I think traffic is a better metric than any kind of link tool anyway. I actually noticed that when I promote content and I'm able to generate, you know, a few thousands of these two pieces of content, it ranks really fast and much better anyway. So I don't know if you feel that way. It's like, it's yeah, hard to like scientifically explain that. But like, I can see that when I generate some hype around some content, then... It indexes much faster. It shows up for its keyword much faster. Sometimes it's a temporary boost and it just kind of like decreases after the hype is dead, you know, but it still stays higher than it would have probably if we did no promotion. That's a feeling how to really test that properly, I think. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You you see the same thing with um, a social media blast where Mm -hmm. you do a bunch of Facebook ads or Twitter ads or whatever ads, and then a bunch of relevant traffic flows in. Because you've targeted people and they're the people that you want, things do better. You know, that traffic coming in seems to, so you could say like, oh, it's the link from Facebook. I I doubt that. But what I could see, what I think a better argument would be, well, what it is, it's the traffic that's coming in. Yeah, it's like uh, the the Chrome data that's collected or something like this. And uh, Google sees it that way or something. But yeah, like I think I did it um I did it also with, uh, I, t- I tested on CTR as well. It worked really well as well. Like published an article, promoted it, it started ranking. And then I told people to Google the query and click on the article. And I, I think we got number three or four for the keyword fastest WordPress team in like Not too shabby. three or four days. We didn't stay there. Like, um, I think now we're on page two or something. Like it's not nearly as good as it used to be. But it's one of these things where it's like, by getting the hype, then getting people to Google and click, then we essentially like, yeah, it was a pretty good keyword. And we got top five basically in uh, in a few days, so uh, there there is some uh, some truth into that I think. Yeah. Another thing that people have been talking about this year, and it was a tweet by Cyrus Shepard that made me look into this, is there was this case study about shared hosting killing rankings that people, I mean, that essentially like they moved the site from shared hosting to some kind of VPS and presumably went up. I think it was on the like same style as you, like, you know, imaginary keywords. I think that was that kind of test. No, it's not that. They picked, they made 10 sites. Five of them were shared hosting. Five of them were on their own server. And like four out of five sites on their own server outranked the sites on shared hosting. So I wanted to know if you tested that, how you feel about it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I haven't looked at it specifically. I would say one thing, five and five is not a large test yeah. at all. 
like that, that's an extremely small test. And when you think about a coin flip out of 10, you can see a coin going four times one way and one time another. That, that's an easy thing to see in terms of probability. Um, that said, I'm not a huge fan of shared hosting. I think more than anything, and I'm not overly concerned about bad neighborhoods or those types of things. Like I don't, I don't really have a lot of stock in that, but I think the issue you run into is downtime, you know, mm-hmm. and who gets it up if things go down. On the other hand though, they are easier to use, right? Exactly. You know, they are easier to use and they're cheaper to use. And if you're just start getting started, that's probably where you're starting. And, and you can always change hosting for sure. I would think about in terms of cost, if you can afford something that's in the $15 range over the $5 range, I would probably do it just to, just to be on the safe side of it. But Fair enough. I think there's a marginal benefit, but I don't think it's, it's one of these things that as we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, right? It's like people ignore their content and links, et cetera, but they focus on like site speed or core web right. vitals or stuff yeah, like you, that. Yeah, you know what this is. It feels like is, that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. This is something to think about, keep an eye on, but is it the be all to end all? Like, is it a top three factor? No. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like personally, I recommend beginners do that because there's often like limited in resources. So it's like, even like basically you're saving a hundred to $200 a year, let's say difference from like a cheap, a dedicated server to a cheap share hosting. But like for them, it can be the difference like for like three more pages on their site that they can outsource to a writer or something. True. And so is that worth more to get those pages, to get the keywords, to get a, exactly. a wider... If one yeah. of these is a hit, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, and then, then you just change your hosting once you have a hit, you know? So no, I, tend to I, recommend I, I definitely see that argument for sure. Yeah, I tend to recommend these, but like, it's funny to see like SEOs turn on. At the same time, I've tried uh, Cloudways with Volter High Frequency, which I think starts at $14 per month. And it's the fastest host of WordPress I've ever experienced in my life, actually. So it's very mm. nice. It feels like a desktop app to use WordPress, you know, so it just loads immediately. <laughs> wow. um, and it's like, uh, I was like, oh, this is a nice quality of life. Uh, I'd pay just for that, you know, it's like, I don't really care about the rankings. I just, yeah, I just want my WordPress to feel zippy, yeah. you know? I like that. Your quality of life goes up because your website's faster. That's <laughs> true. The psychological yeah. benefit alone is it makes me want to work on it more as well, you know, because it's just more responsive. Yeah. It's just like, uh, it's, I hate it, waiting like two seconds between each WordPress like screen to load. It's oh, especially like when you're the back end trying to edit stuff. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, yeah, when you're doing SEO, you're trying to re-optimize many pages, you're like opening all of these, etc. It's <laughs> I hate it, you know? Autoria Hacker is definitely a big offender on that. It looks, it's really fast in front end, but the back end is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Last time we talked about content hubs and reverse siloing. You explained, you know, the whole pyramid and where you're like, oh, I create my support content first and I have this link to my main page that ranks, et cetera. Um, did that change or do you still do the same? It's still working like gangbusters. I mean, it still works incredibly well. And we see it time and time again with, with client sites, just putting it into play in the field. They turn into little engines of good. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just continual cycles of good. The supporting the page- The will- fresh air in 2020, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, just like the, the sporting page will start to rank on its own. It starts to get some traffic in. All of a sudden, it picks up some links that we weren't trying for. And then the juice gets passed around and it just it creates a better and better environment. Something that I've been working on recently with the team is to kind of refocus a little bit on the target page. And then we've got our primary keyword. But how can we really maximize this now that we're getting, you know, we've got all this little link just coming in and we've got the relevancy flowing through and things. How can we really maximize our target page? And so something that I'm working with is how to create the most relevant page possible. And a trick or a technique that I've run into is that search for your your primary keyword, what you're going to write this page about, and then scroll to the bottom, look at the related keywords. Pick the one you like the best. 
And by the best, I mean the direction you want this page to go or the one might be most relevant to what you're trying to do. So you choose that one. Click on that one, scroll to the bottom of that one and look at their related searches. So now you have two sets of related searches, one for the primary and one for your lead H2 or your lead secondary keyword. Find the terms that match between these two. You'll probably find three or four, maybe three. Those then become the H2s on your page, the sections mm. that you're going to do on your page. From there, the ones that match, click one more time and go to their related searches. And then that's what you're going to fill in content-wise in each of those sections. So those are the, the points you're going to hit as you're writing, as you're filling out those paragraph sections. You will end up with the most semantically related page ever. It has the best opportunity to rank for the most amount of keywords and you didn't have to do any magic. You didn't have to do any special keyword research or need a special tool. You let Google show you what to write. And then those other, there might be some other terms that are filled in around there that, um, that you like, but they just don't quite fit with the direction that you want to go, but they still exist. Those become your supporting pages because they are still semantically related. They're still in the same ballpark. And it's the kind of thing that you can write about to then your whole silo is semantically related. Do you do it to every page or just your main page? Like, do you just the main page? The you know, that's yeah, okay. it's a, it's the kind of thing that you're investing a lot of time and energy and money into this content. You have to do it from an ROI perspective. What's going to give us the most return for the for the supporting pages? I'm just answering that. I'm not going into that kind of detail unless it takes off. You know, you can have a supporting page that like all of a sudden takes off and like, well, now this is a this is a primary page. You know, I, I like I leave to do that. that. I like to throw a page and see how it does, and then just kind of like even sometimes throw like five, six hundred words, and you'd be surprised. And yeah. if you throw like tiny pages, you're you're able to throw to just launch a lot of them. You know, it's kind yeah. of like this: uh, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, and yeah. just invest uh, editorial budget into that. Actually, for sure. You know, don't fight it. And we're in a business of best guesses, so you, you give your best guess, and then go with what's working. <laughs> you know, like I agree. and if you your know, best guess didn't work, it's okay. You know, people yeah. get mad when like, uh, they realize that the search volume in QO tools is not exact or it's not the reality or something like this. It's like, they're like oh, how can, yeah, <laughs> very often it's terrible. And, and they're like, oh, how can, we, how can we find good keywords or how can we find a niche, et cetera? It's like literally all the data in SEO, probably including Webmaster's console, is inaccurate, uh, including mm-hmm. Google Analytics as well, actually. I think Google Analytics is, is, is like, if you check your, a lot of server stats against Analytics, for example, you're often quite surprised that, um, that you get quite a bit more. Obviously, there's a lot of bot traffic, et cetera, but I can imagine browsers not firing JavaScript and like blocky, cookie blocking uh, extensions and things like that that would also reduce your traffic. So yeah, it's a, I think it's a realization maybe people should make at the end of this year is that we've been lied to the whole time and that all these exact numbers <laughs> that you see. Well, that's not maybe lies. You've been given a false sense of confidence. That's yeah, because, is- you know, they, they put like, they put like uh, you know, 367 or something. Like, you know, it's like, it feels exact, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. And then it's like, actually, <laughs> you just made that up. There's probably like a, a dice roll for the last number on some tools, you know, it's just randomly picking up... Uh, Picking that up or something, but yeah, yeah, I like this. Anything else that changed in your in the way you do silos? No, I mean, just um, it's such a huge part of, of of my technique when doing SEO that it's something that we determine from the outset when we okay. determine a target page and we decide to start optimizing that page and what we're going to do for it. The very first thing that we're doing is doing keyword research to determine what we're going to use for our silos and we're going to create them. And um, in case anybody is confused, I'm not talking about URL structure silos, a physical silo. Where you know you've got like dot com slash product slash name a product and then you've got 
those child pages. I'm not, you can have that. That's totally fine. And, and that's great. What I'm talking about is a virtual silo where the, the relationship is created by links in the content. So not links in the nav bar and the sidebar or the footer. I don't worry about those. These are just links that are within body content between pages on your site. They can be pages, they can be posts, they can be whatever. Doesn't matter. Yeah, say shit. They can live anywhere on the site. <laughs> but the idea is that they have this relationship that you've created by links pointing to each other and then back up to a target page. We have a podcast where we talked a lot more about that. So I put a card on YouTube so people can go and check it out. And that's why I didn't go that much into this because we essentially did last time. We've done it. Yeah. it if nothing has changed, I know that makes sense. Here's one thing that uh, has changed in my teaching. If I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, so people, I know people have seen that, <laughs> that previous one. And then I'll get a, a thing that says, I followed your silo method and nothing's working or something like that. Right? Like, okay, show me your silo. And it's not right. Because the concept that we're talking here, and the, this is not every page on your site, but these are very specific pages on your site. They link very specifically. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, this is linking out to nine things. And I'll hear a well, but, and as soon as you're doing like a well, but, then you haven't done it correctly. Yeah, you might have a very valid reason for doing it, but you haven't done it this way. And so if you want to do these types of things, it's a grinding game. You know, you have to grind and say, this is what we're going to do. And this is why we're going to do it and stick with it. As soon as you get like a well, but then, then you're not doing it. You're, you've created your own method, which could be very valid. Could very people well do work. that a lot, yeah. In our course, people do that a lot. Some, like, you know, they come on the Facebook group, they're like, oh, I did this, I didn't really do this, I used this other tool, and I did also that. And it's like, it's not working. And I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not exactly <laughs> what we were telling you to do. So it's like, yeah, it's these things work for us, but it's like people tend to be quite specific in the way they do their things. And actually, we do things quite differently from each other and probably both get good results. But like when you're trying to pick someone else's method, try to follow it properly, basically. I think it, it will help people's success, I think, and pushing it. I personally like, um, like now, what I found how it works best for our sites in terms of building the site structure is I put all the commercial content of the site on pages and I built like that hard silo structure. So like, again, we're reviewing hosting. Maybe it's going to be hostingreview.com slash shared slash reviews slash site ground, for example, and then slash reviews slash hostgate or et cetera. And then I'll just have all of these. And then the slash shared will be best shared hosting and link out to these, et cetera. And like- uh, Those create hub pages for you that you can exactly. build into. Yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. So I do that. And then my info content, most of it ends up on the blog. So I use posts. And then I might be using categories once I start having too many of them. But at the beginning, it's just a blog feed, basically. I just use that. And it just links in content to whatever is in the hard siloed section of the site. And they're yeah. quite separated, actually. So I tend to do it that way. It's doing okay for us, basically. Yeah. No, it sounds good to me. But the thing is, though, like, even though they're separated like that, if you wanted to start using some of those posts, and you don't have to use all of them, not every page on your site needs to be in a silo. Yeah. There are a lot of reasons to have other pages to do other things. One page could link to three target pages. That's fine. That, that's great. But it's not a silo that we're, that we're talking about. But within what you're talking about, like the blog post is separate. You can still create your virtual silo out of that. Yeah, Every so often, some of them are, are linking in a way. And to the user, the user doesn't care. The user doesn't see what you're doing. But the idea is that Google does because it's crawling through those links. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it's like, that's exactly what we do. We just, we're quite free on the info content we create and then we link out to whatever is relevant. Like the same way Wikipedia would, you know, it's like, we don't try to like, be like, oh, it's only in the shared hosting section. No, it's like, if we're talking yeah. about, I don't know, if we're talking about, let's say we made a blog post, page speed award 2020, we copied the same site on 20 hostings and saw which one was the fastest. We'll link out to whatever hosting, whether it's in shared or dedicated sure. from that, provided it's sure. relevant, you know? So yeah, I like it. It works quite well for me. I think we're going to slowly close it off. Did, is there anything that I should have asked about 2020 that I did not ask? Uh, how was 2020 for you in terms of business? 
Uh, it was our best year actually in terms of revenue. So, so it's like um, we're doing we're doing quite well. We're lucky because our people are struggling. So you know, be humble with whatever success you have. We have several members that did well as well, like posted on the Facebook group and so on. So yeah, it's kind of funny how the, the turn the world has taken. But obviously, online business has profited a lot from yeah. that. And uh, we were, I think, at the right time at the right place. We're not particularly. It's like I don't say that this was a mastermind move or something like this. It's just right. like well. <laughs> I was planning for the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, <well>. Exactly. <laughs> We're lucky. Hopefully next year stays at least as good. And then, you know, I'll be happy. But um, so far, so good. How about you? Yeah, this was our best year as well. You can see, you can continue to see opportunity, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to see that economies might not be as strong coming out of this pandemic. That's, I don't think you have to be a, an economic sage to see that coming. But with such a shift online, companies that, that were really, I think, reluctant to invest in, in, a, in an online platform are now doing that. Yep. And uh, anybody who questioned it, like, yeah, you need it. Because when you have a situation where your clientele cannot come to your business anymore, you must find another way. So even if there is an economic downturn, even if things are a little bumpy over the next couple of years, I still see a lot of growth in what we're doing. There's still a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity to jump in, uh, do client-side work, build your own sites, different types of forms of marketing, this, that, or the other. Like, There's still tons of space for growth here, and it's, it's, um, it's a good spot to be. Yeah, I agree. I think two things will happen. Two things that I'm quite excited about. First, habits have changed. A lot of people who did not buy online had to buy online, and that I think some of it's going to stay at least. No, and, absolutely. And the second thing is actually an interesting one is in terms of employees, right? Because like now a ton of people have experienced remote work and we are a remote company for us. And um, it means a lot more people are now considering these positions. And I'm expecting a higher quality of candidates when we post jobs and try to get people to work with us because there's just a much larger pool of people that's interested in online jobs or has had some experience this year, you know? Whereas yeah. before it was more of a fringe thing. It was like working online felt a little bit weird and uh, it's not a real job and everything. Well, now everyone's real job is online, so. Uh. And the, the thing is you have to get used to it. When you're forced to get used to it, you get used to it, you know, and, and you figure out how to make it work. Um, something I was thinking about too is a lot of people have like a 45 minute commute and then mm-hmm. they take an hour for lunch. And when you stay home, you don't have that commute either way. Back, yeah. You know, and plus probably 15 minutes probably on either side of that commute in terms of getting ready, getting in the car, getting out of the car, you know, that's so like, you know, and then maybe take a shorter lunch simply because, you know, you're eating at home and you didn't have to drive somewhere and, and all that probably end up with more disposable time. Mm -hmm. You know, you have more time to invest in, in an online type of thing where you could take that time and go and do something. So, and you can do it anywhere you want as well. I think it it might take people off cities. It might reduce the expenses for commercial real estate, for companies paying for offices. Maybe they're. Oh, for sure. So it's like, your workforce could show up two times a week and just rotate them through. And have a much smaller office and share the desks. Way smaller. Yeah. So I think it's gonna actually de- it's gonna like reduce the population in city centers and take people a bit more outside, yeah, et cetera, which probably a healthy thing to do actually. Um, so yeah, it's overall we're lucky to be where we are. Can't tell where the world is going, but I'm not too worried for the future for people who do what we do. I agree. I totally agree. So, so far so good. Let's uh, let's end uh, 2020 on a positive note. And uh, anywhere you want to send people after this podcast. Well, I just launched a new course, White Hat SEO. You can get it exclusively at internetmarketing.gold.
Okay, so go check it out. And uh, again, thank you for coming. It was fun. It's always fun to do a podcast. Thank you. This is always great. Everything. Even though it's the second time we do this one, it was still a bit different. <laughs> and it felt like the first time. It felt like uh, exactly. It was pretty good. Anyway, thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Thumbab, Bell, all that stuff. And you can also subscribe on all the audio platforms, so Spotify, Google Podcast, etc., etc. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week with Mark. Bye.